الحمد لله الحمد لله وكفى والصلاة والسلام على عباده الذين اصطفى أما بعد فأعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم ولقد ذرأنا لجهنم كثيرا من الجن والإنس لهم قلوب لا يفقهون بها ولهم أعين لا يبصرون بها ولهم آذان لا يسمعون بها أولئك كالأنعام بل هم أضل أولئك هم الغافلون صدق الله العظيم many things this insan this human being and the animals the animals that are in the jungles the birds and various other creatures which are the creation of Allah Ta'ala they are all common in many aspects insan also needs a place to live in he needs some accommodation Animals also need a place to live in. They also have some kind of house to live in. Insan needs food. Animals also need food. They also acquire their food in some way or the other. Some will hunt. Some will do something. Insan needs water. Animals also need water. Insan needs company. Animals also many only live in colonies and live together. Insan procreates. This is something animals also. This is part of the system in the animal kingdom. So in all these things, whatever insan does, these animals also do. The little difference is that animals would be able to fulfill these needs of some place to live in, their food, etc., in a certain manner, to a certain level, insan will do it in a very sophisticated way compared to the animals. Insan will be able to do it in a very advanced manner. But sometimes, in that simplicity of what the animals do, they are far more advanced than insan also. In that little nest that that bird makes on the edge of a branch which is hanging and from where it enters with that hanging upside down on the little small twig give insan the resources that that bird has and tell him to do the same and he'll fail miserably he'll get all the technology of the world to put together and so many people's expertise and so many people's help and the help of so much of machinery and then he'll probably be able to make some kind of copy of it but given the similar resources that that bird has and he'll fail miserably to do even one fraction of what that bird can do. But in any case, he might be able to do some other things in a very advanced way. He might be able to do it in a very sophisticated way. But that doesn't set him apart from the animals, from the birds, from the fish. That doesn't make him very distinguished in these things. If it comes to other aspects of human life, then animals far surpass him. If it comes to his strength, then he can't compare with animals. Any animal in the jungle, his let alone animals in the jungle, some little dog also, if that dog has to start attacking him, he'll have to run for his life. So he cannot compare in strength, he cannot compare in almost anything. So what sets this insan apart from animals? This is something totally different. It is something which animals don't have any share of. Though they in their own way also have something else compared to it, but this is what is known as Rohaniyat. All these things that we have been talking about, the need for food, for shelter, for clothing, and then 
for a partner in life and all these things, this is part of what is termed as hayawaniyat, basic animal requirements which all human and animals all share like, all living creatures. But ruhaniyat is something where there is this taluk and this connection with Allah Ta'ala who is the trait of insan and the trait of the animals, this is something which insan has been given this opportunity. Even the animals, they remember Allah Ta'ala in their own way. وَإِن مِّن شَيْءٍ إِلَّا يُسَبِّحُ بِحَمْدِهِ وَلَكِنْ لَا تَفْتَهُونَ تَسْبِحَهُ Everything that Allah Ta'ala has created, even though it might seem to us to be a non-living thing, it might be a rock, it might be anything, Allah Ta'ala says everything is in the tasbih of Allah Ta'ala glorifying his praises. But you do not understand its tasbih and praises. But what sets this insan apart, what distinguishes him, what gives him that special position, what gives him that elevated rank, is this ruhaniyat. This connection that he has with Allah Ta'ala, and if he doesn't have this connection with Allah Ta'ala, then he is no better than the animal. In fact, the animals are better off. In the ayat of the Quran Sharif, Allah Ta'ala says, وَلَقَدْ ذَرَأْنَا لِجَهَنَّمَ كَثِيرًا مِنَ الْجِنِّ وَالْإِنسِ That there are many jinnat and many human beings that are headed headlong for the fire of Jahannam. And the reason for this, Allah Ta'ala explains is, لَهُمْ قُلُوبٌ لَا يَفْقَهُونَ بِهَا They have hearts, but they don't understand. They don't think they don't ponder and they don't come to the right conclusions. They don't look at the phenomena around and come to the correct conclusion that all this mighty universe is an almighty that has created it. That this universe is not something that came about on its own. It's not something that could just have come into existence. In the time of Imam Abu Hanifa, there was one person who was an atheist and he was misleading others and giving all these false theories and it might sound like something that existed in that time it doesn't apply to us but it is something that we have to be hyper conscious about every now and again there is somebody coming to discuss something of this nature just few days ago one person was talking about some relative of his the entire family very very close to them on a general level entire family is very close to Deen, involved in Deeni efforts, associated with ulama ikram with Mashayat. And now one or two people from the very family who now took a certain line of education and family functions, openly talking about their atheism mm-hmm. and inciting others to also take the same line. Asking now, a person who is not learned enough and you put forward certain uh, false and baseless things in front of him, but it is just put across in a very, very convincing way. To convince somebody about something is just an art. What is being convinced about could be the truth, it could be a complete falsehood. This is something which happens all the days in our, every day in our thoughts. That the truth is made to look like a lie, and the lie is made so convincing that it becomes like the truth. It's an everyday thing. It's an art. Some people have that art, and this is the art for which many people have to pay big sums for. That now the person goes up front, and he, in a private consultation, confesses to what he's done already, and he says, now it's your job to make it, prove it that I haven't done it. So this is an everyday thing. This is an art. And now a person is got a glib tongue and he's talking about all these total deviations and he's talking to simple people who have not learned the details of Deen. So that person is not in a position to answer obviously, but because of his lack of knowledge he gets confused about what he's been told. And as a result his own Iman now is in danger. His Iman is shaken, the foundation of his Iman is shaken. This is not something to entertain. These kind of discussions must be stopped right there. Out of sometimes, out of uh, this courtesy, person doesn't want to now stop it and 
well now, how can I stop somebody in my house now? I've invited him as a guest. And now, how do I stop him from talking? No, it comes to aspects of Iman and Kufr. When a person's Iman is now being put in danger, then in a very clear, doesn't have to be rude, doesn't have to be abrupt, but in a clear way, what is not something, what is crossing the lines, we put a clear stop to it. Look, this discussion is out of line completely. Please stop this discussion. Hmm. Now, many a times people come up and they are asking questions and that question now, you wonder where is this question coming from? It's coming from having heard somebody's discussion. Now, he was sitting on the side and somebody was talking and somebody else was listening and he also was now just overhearing this conversation. And it left doubts in his mind. Whereas the answers are very straightforward. But it requires somebody who knows the answers. So in any case, in that zamana and time too, these things were prevalent. And perhaps we have discussed this at length previously also. Much of it is coming from our schooling system. The seeds of this is being planted in that evolution theory which our children are being taught, let alone in primary school, in pre-primary, and in perhaps already nursery. This fallacy of evolution is being taught to them as a part of a subject as if it's a fact of life. Whether the child is in a state school, whether he's in a Muslim school. This has been thought to him like a fact of life. One person who's got some relatives in India, he's mentioning the same thing. Uh, he spoke to the person on the phone, and that person is talking all similar kind of things. And he's talking about evolution. And he's talking about it as if now that this is reality. And he has taken this completely as a fact. So, these are things that we have to be very alert about, what is going on. We're talking to our children, and we have to be very, very conscious about what is going on in our children's schools, what they have been taught. We cannot take anything for granted. In any case, this person was brought into the court of the king at that time, that he is misleading people. So, he had this very clip tongue, and he says, look, I will challenge anybody to a debate. Anybody to a debate here in the king's court, and if I lose, well and good. But if I convince the person, then accordingly, then obviously you have to accept what I am saying. The king accepted. The time was set. I said, well, Imam Abu Hanifa, he will be the person that will challenge you. So very well, the time was set. It was a certain time towards the evening, and everybody gathered. This person is there. Now the time, appointed time came, and the time is ticking, but there is no sign of Imam Muhammad Rahmatullahi. And now, everybody is waiting, king is waiting, meaning of the time, and time is going past. So eventually, one hour went past, everybody is becoming impatient, and this person now is thinking that, well, Imam Sahib got scared. He perhaps realized that he is not going to be able to stand against me, so he already disappeared before time. When a lot of time had passed, eventually Imam Hanifa arrived. So when he arrived, now in the court of the king, and so, so much of a delay, so he was asked that what happened? This is the appointed time. The appointed time was long before, and this is the royal court, and you delayed so much and kept everybody waiting. He says, well, what do I do? This was something beyond my control that I had to cross this river and come across. So I left in good time. But when I got there, this river was in, where the water was very high. There was no way I could swim across or do walk across, etc. And there was nobody to take me across, no boat, anything. <laughs> I was totally stranded, helpless. And then after really waiting for a while, something very amazing happened. Say, what happened? It's very amazing. I suddenly saw a whole log fall from above. This log fell from above? Yes, it fell from nowhere. And then what happened? Says, this log just began getting cut into pieces. On its own. And balls started getting made out of it. And then what? Says, well then suddenly these balls all just started just coming together. And they joined up together and created the shape of a boat. But these are all loose boards. Suddenly from nowhere I see there's all these nails and whatever else coming and joining them together. 
And then it came and suddenly stationed itself at the corner, at the, at the bank. So I hopped in and it just rode on its own. And it came on its own across the river. Finally it came, so then I hopped off onto the other bank and I made my way and came to the court, but obviously all this took time, so that is why I got delayed. And when he finished with this whole detail, this atheist, he started making a mockery of this and he says, you asked me to come and debate with this man. Can this be possible? Can this be possible that this log falls on its own, then it fell from nowhere and then it became boards on its own and those boards then became a boat on its own and then that boat rode on its own? Can this be possible? And now saying this and he's really making a point of it, that he made a point of it, but he thought he was making a point of it. Imam Hanif al-Rahmatullah said, Brother, you've answered your own questions. You've answered your own questions. If one small little boat can't get made on its own, and those boats can't come together on their own, and that boat can't row from one end of the back river to the other end on its own, then the entire universe came on its own. This entire system of this universe came on its own. The sun rises and sets in perfect uh, manner on the appointed moment, not a moment late or early. Is all that happening on its own? Is this moon shining on its own? Does the rain come? Does the rain come on its own? You've answered your own question. That if this little boat can't come about on its own, how is the whole universe going to come on its own? And you are denying the existence of a creator. You are saying there is no Allah. So you answered your own question. Now for this kind of person, this was the answer. So in any case, the point that is, that insan, Allah Ta'ala has created insan and given him the opportunity of something beyond what animals are. And that is to develop the special contact and connection with Allah Ta'ala. And without this, he is no different to animals. So Allah Ta'ala says that many insan and jinnat, are headed directly to Jahannam. Lahum They have hearts, but they don't think about what is the reality. They don't ponder. And they don't come to the right conclusions. And They have eyes, but they don't see with it. They only see that which animals see. The animal also can see a stick and it sees its harm in it, in terms of dunya, and it runs away. The animal also sees some food and it seems some, sees some benefit of dunya for it. So it comes for that food. So insan also only sees what is the benefit of dunya. He sees material things, and he sees his benefit of dunya, so he runs headlong towards it. Whether that is halal or haram, he is not interested. Because he can only see dunya. And he sees something which apparently is going to be harmful for him for dunya, then that is what he now will act upon. Even if that was his benefit in deen, but he was too short-sighted. He cannot see the reality. And he cannot hear the reality. Allah Ta'ala says such people are like animals. Rather they are worse than animals. Worse than animals, worse off than animals. The animal hasn't been given that capacity to come to this level. The animal is not accountable. Insan was given that opportunity. And he wasted it. He's worse off than that animal. On the day of Qiyamah, the animal, there won't be any jahannam for it. Animal, there won't be any punishment for it. But this insan will be taken to task. So who's worse off? So therefore, this is the main thing that distinguishes this insan, this ruhaniyat. That he develops this real connection with Allah Ta'ala. This is the biggest effort that is required. Effort is made on everything. Effort is made to make anything and everything. But the effort to make insan, insan. Because otherwise he is like hayawan. If insan doesn't become in reality insan, who is reality insan? Insan is that person who has this connection with Allah then he is a real insan. And when he has this connection with Allah Ta'ala, then all the things that are supposed to be in him also come into him. That akhlaq that Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam had, this will come into him.
the kindness, the compassion, the forgiveness, and the overlooking nature, the accommodating nature, and the concern for others, not only being concerned about himself, the obedience to his parents, and all the whole list of akhlaq, then his focus is akhirat. He lives his life in dunya, but his focus is akhirat. Now he is becoming insan in reality. The effort to make insan, insan. Now what is this that transforms this insan from the level of hayawan to this real person? There are two basic things which have been repeatedly described in the Quranjali. It sums up the whole aspect of deen actually, but in two things. It is Iman Billah and Iman Biyom Al-Akhir. Iman in Allah Ta'ala and Iman in the last day. This is actually the summary of everything. A person who has belief in Allah Ta'ala, but this belief is not just an intellectual belief. Like for example, a person, he knows his mother, so he believes this is my mother. But it's not just an intellectual belief, that this is my mother. There is a bond. That bond actually flows in his veins. He will feel the pain of his mother more than his own. He'll have the concern for his mother more than himself. Provided that he's a son, obviously. So, it won't be just an intellectual belief. Well, so is my mother, fine. That is it. And like a person has some intellectual belief about things, like a fact, he knows a fact, that's all. And then he turns a page and carries on. He read a fact. No, there is a bond. And therefore, he will sacrifice his own comforts for the comfort for his, of his mother. He will sacrifice his own needs for the comfort of his mother. He will sacrifice anything to do what will make her happy. Obviously within the limits of Sharia and Deen, without trampling anybody else's rights in the process. But what, what makes this happen? This is that bond, not just an intellectual belief. So likewise, we Alhamdulillah, every mu'min has this belief that Allah Ta'ala is my creator, Allah Ta'ala is my sustainer, Allah Ta'ala is my nourisher, Allah Ta'ala is doing everything, Allah Ta'ala is the controller of the universe. But often, this is not much more than an intellectual belief. It's there, alhamdulillah, Iman is there, but it is just a little bit more perhaps than an intellectual belief. But that bond, that bond that makes a person forever conscious of Allah, that bond that makes a person be all the time concerned that my Allah must be pleased with me. I'm going to do this, Will Allah Ta'ala be pleased? Am I going to do this? Will Allah Ta'ala be displeased? Now forever he's asking himself the question. For to say something, will Allah Ta'ala be pleased with this? Oh, this is ghibat. How can I do this? Will Allah Ta'ala be pleased with what I'm looking at? No, this is something Allah Ta'ala has totally forbidden. Allah Ta'ala has already given the command, tell the believing men to lower their gazes from these things. Not to look at all this filth and haram. Not to destroy their ruhaniyat and come down to hayawaniyat. So now, when this bond is there with Allah Ta'ala, he keeps asking himself these questions. And this keeps prompting him to do what is right. To stay away from what is wrong. May Allah will be displeased with this. Allah Ta'ala will be displeased with that. What I'm thinking now, what thoughts shaitan has whispered, Am I going to now flow with that? I just get carried away with it? Is my Allah going to be happy with that? If Allah Ta'ala is not going to be happy with it, I can't. Allah will become displeased. When will this be the case? When there is this bond created. Look in the lives of the Sahaba, they had this bond. So nothing could deter them from Allah Ta'ala. So that Bilal Allah Ta'ala, what is making him shout Ahad? Why is being dragged on the hot sands? That bond with Allah, that loving bond, 
not just an intellectual belief. What is making Hazrat Sumiya radiallahu give her life, but not for one moment leave out this Iman. It is a living bond with Allah. What makes a person like Abu Bakr radiallahu after he is appointed the Khalifa, he is now the Amirul Mu'mineen. And he has all the power at his disposal. He can make the decision that he wants to. But he wakes up in the morning with his fabric on his shoulder to go to the marketplace to sell it. To earn a living to feed his family. So people see him, what are you doing? He says, well, I also have to fend for myself. He says, but who's going to see to the affairs of the state? We will give you an allowance from the Baitul Mahal. Give you an allowance of the Baitul Mal because obviously your time now is going to be occupied. So indicate the allowance comes. And now when the allowance comes, the allowance is so meager that there isn't anything to even cook a sweet dish in the home. So his wife starts saving a little, little at a time from that allowance. After some time, after some time, there is a small amount that has been saved up and now we're talking about a time when a few in our context a few cents will get the job done because it was things were so to say cheap so how much of time it took to save up those few cents and now finally when those few cents were saved and she prepared that sweet dish and she presented it in front of him he wants to know how did this come? He says, well, this was the little, little that I saved over time. Mm-hmm. He says, well, if this was saved over time, it means that this much is in excess of our needs. Mm-hmm. So therefore, this much now must be deducted from the allowance that Abu Bakr receives from the Baitul Mahal. Mm-hmm. Now, what makes a person think in that manner? What brings his mind to that level? This is a living bond with Allah. And this, after this kind of sacrifice, when it is now close to his passing away, he makes wasiyat that took I was forced to take this allowance from the Baitul Mahal. But I was uneasy about it. So now my house, which was his own personal house, was not something provided by the state, was not a state of the art house. This was something which was a simple structure but his own personal property. He says, this should be sold. And the amount that I had received over these two years of my being the Khalifa, as an allowance of the Baitul Mahal, that amount must be returned to the Baitul Mahal. Now what makes a person think like this? This is that bond with Allah. Hazrat Umar is a Khalifa of the time. And he is patrolling. And there is this little camp, tent pitched outside. And then he comes and he finds out what's going on with the lady that is in labor. And he quickly comes and very well-known incident we read in the Fazail Amal, we hear about it when we, when we sit in the Talim. So in any case, the Khalifa of the time carrying the load of provisions on his back at the late part of the night to see to the welfare of a poor couple on the outskirts of Madinah Manawar. And he goes and tends to the needs themselves, himself, cooks the food himself, being the Khalifa of the time. To see to the needs. Now this is the difference between Hayawaniyat and Insaniyat. But what makes a person this kind of Insan? This contact with Allah. This kind of bond with Allah. Sometimes we get beguiled, we get misled. That many others who don't have Iman also have this kind of Akhlaq. But if we really look into it, the reality we will find generally is that this akhlaq is more a kind of business akhlaq. This akhlaq is more a business akhlaq because there is some material benefit behind it. So it is just a strategy to get more dunya. One person who is involved in some relief work and so on says that there are many times big, big headlines about some this non-Muslim relief agency, they came and distributed so much here, did so much. Since we work first hand on the ground, we know what goes on. They 
transfer a huge sum of money into a bank account in that country. And then only the interest that gets accrued there, which is now the Lamat of Allah Ta'ala, but in any case, only the interest which gets accrued there, they'll distribute some of the interest, some of it. Now they transferred some seven-figure seven number, and now the interest that accrued over a short period, before, a couple of months before they will transfer it, they'll distribute some of the interest, and then they will take everything back. Now this is their aim. So this is something which doesn't come, doesn't fit into what we are talking about, that insaniyat. This is something else. This is something which is some material issue. So in any case, this is the level that insan can go up to when he has distinguished himself from the animals, he has developed this bond with Allah. And this bond with Allah comes from this imam being developed to this level of this real living bond. And together with that, this consciousness of Akhir. In so many ahadis you find these two things mentioned. There's a summary of everything. It's not that these are the only two things, but it summarizes everything. Man kana yu'minu billahi wal yawmil akhir. Fala yu'udhi jara. The says, the person who believes in Allah and on the day of Qiyamah. And he should not give any taklif and inconvenience to his neighbor. Now what else is going to stop a person? He'll be good to his neighbor for Allah. He will refrain from harming his neighbor in any way because of the fear of accountability on the day of Tiyam. Minus this, it's free for all. Man kana yu'minu billahi wal yawmil akhir fal yukrim waifa The person who has iman in Allah in the last day, he should honor his guest. Again, iman in Allah in the last day, the day of Qiyamah. Now he has all the yaqeen of sawab and reward. He has the great rewards of feeding the guests in front of him. And of being kind and compassionate in front of him. Man kana yukminu billahi wal yawmil akhir fal yakul khayran awli yasmut. The person who has iman in Allah and the last day, let him say that which is right, which is good. Otherwise tell him to keep quiet. Now who will keep quiet from wrong? Who will keep quiet from becoming a means of pain for others? Who will keep quiet from speaking in a way that will break hearts? Who will keep quiet from demeaning someone, from ridiculing someone, from mocking someone? The person has demand that real living bond with Allah and that fear of accountability on the day of Qiyamah. Otherwise, otherwise it's free fall. Otherwise, then I'll say what I want to say. So, this is that revolutionary aspect in a person's life that transforms him from, an, from the level of hayawan, from the level of animals, and raises him to the level of a real insan. That insan who becomes a beacon of hidayah, that insan who becomes a means of good for himself and others. And he himself goes towards Jannah, takes others to Jannah as well. He has a heart full of compassion, kindness, forgiveness, overlooking. He's trampled his ego. He's trampled his nafs. He's brought humility within him. One person had come to his, to the company of his sheikh and stayed for a long time. And after a long time, the sheikh gave him khilafat. And he told him, now you go and work do the effort of deen in a certain area. Far away place, somewhere you dispatch him. And you go and serve deen in that area. So, when he now was leaving, departing now, the sheikh's instruction, so he asked for some nasihat, some advice. The sheikh said to him, parting advice now. And he came and stayed for years. And then, in those days, that years of rigorous training, it wasn't something that was just like modern lodge. It was rigorous training. So in any case, after all this, and now he got this opportunity to now go and serve Deen. So he said, give me some nasihat, some parting advice. So the Sheikh said to him, well, okay, these two things. One is, don't ever claim divinity. The second is, don't ever claim prophethood. Don't ever claim divinity, that you are Allah. 
And no one ever claimed prophethood. He got shocked. I came and stayed in your company for so many years, and then you finally gave me this responsibility, you gave this khilafat and ijazah to me, you put this responsibility on my shoulders. And after all this, you still have this fear that I will make this claim of divinity. That was the worst kafir that made that claim ground. Otherwise, the ordinary disbeliever also doesn't think of himself in that manner. Also, he doesn't claim divinity. You have that fear about me that I'm going to claim divinity and then claim prophethood. That a handful of people who went to this extreme and after all this time in your company and having learned so much from you, you still have that fear, I will claim prophethood. He said, well, you didn't understand. What I'm saying is that don't ever always believe that what you say must be final. And what you have said, that is, that is the last word. It must happen how you have decided it. And that's it. There's no other way. Because that is the prerogative of Allah Ta'ala. That's Allah Ta'ala's decision. When Allah Ta'ala decides something, nobody can come in its way. So when you always will want that what you have decided, what you have said, something just came out of your mouth, it must happen like that. So come what may, by hook or crook, you'll make it, want to make it happen like that. So in a way you are claiming that now you want divinity. This is Allah Ta'ala's power, His authority. Allah Ta'ala decides something and that, that is it. It must happen like that. It will happen like that. It cannot happen any other way. Now you always want me, this is my way and that will be the only way. I cannot accommodate anybody else. I cannot be considering anybody else's any feeling in the matter. What I have decided, that is how it will be. This is your claim of divinity. And if you always believe, I am always right. What you have said, you will argue the point till the end, even if you understood whether you are right or wrong, but you must argue till the end. Mm. You are always right. So always right is the Nabi of Allah Ta'ala. He is divinely guided by Wahi. He speaks out of Wahi, out of revelation and inspiration of Allah Ta'ala. Nobody else who is not a Nabi doesn't have that Wahi coming to him. But now when you always believe that you are always right, you are never wrong. And it's like you are claiming prophethood. So this is what I mean by don't ever claim divinity and don't ever claim prophethood. There is this give and take. Sometimes it will be your way, sometimes somebody else's way. Sometimes what you had wished will happen and you'll get your way with that. Sometimes you'll have to accept that no, it will have to happen according to somebody else's way. That's in day-to-day things, obviously within the levels of Sharia. And don't ever believe you're always right. You can be very wrong. So always refer to those who have knowledge. If you don't have the knowledge, then ask people of knowledge. Who have true knowledge. So when a person will bring this in his life, this develop this bond with Allah. And this gets developed in the company of those who have this bond with Allah. The company of the Ahlullah, the company of the Mashayikh, the Ahlullah, and in the environments of Deen, in the environments of the path of Allah Ta'ala, where a person is sacrificing for Deen, then and sacrificing and trampling this nafs for the sake and pleasure of Allah Ta'ala. Each time that this nafs is trampled for Allah Ta'ala, there was this temptation, and the person trampled that temptation, broke his heart, but didn't break the command of Allah Ta'ala, each time he is strengthening this bond, bringing this bond alive and strengthening it with Allah. So the more a person is trampling this nafs, breaking his haram desires, not giving in to those temptations, the stronger this bond is becoming. And when that bond gets stronger, then that will guide him in everything. So this is the thing that is required of us to keep working towards strengthening this bond with the constancy or vigor of Allah wa ta'ala. This brings the bond also alive, the remembrance of Allah Ta'ala, chanting the nafs, being in good company, especially the time of the year that is approaching us. We have to be very, very cautious and careful. What kind of environment we go into, what kind of company we keep. Otherwise, whatever little a person has done also gets washed out in moments, in seconds. 
This is our object, this is our goal, that we become the true servants of Allah Ta'ala. We earn the pleasure of Allah Ta'ala. Allah knows best how much life we have left. We are here now. When we are gone, we have no idea. This is what we have to focus towards. This is what we have to make an effort to acquire. And inshallah, with this little effort, Allah Ta'ala will open the way for us and make us His true servants. Allah Ta'ala give us all the tawfiq. لا إله إلا الله محمد رسول الله صلى الله تبارك وتعالى عليه وعلى آله وأصحابه وأصحابه وبارك وسلم تسليما كثيرا كثيرا يا ربي صل وسلم دائما أبدا على حبيبك خير الخلق كلهم جزا الله عنا نبينا محمدا صلى الله عليه وسلم بما هو أهله لا إله إلا